Good morning. Hey, I'm on the road doing our podcast again this morning for time's sake, but I'm going to start by reading a passage and then hit the road and just share a few thoughts. Uh, Today's going to be one of our pep talks where we talk a little bit about a biblical perspective when it comes to things like politics, where we pray, we educate, and we participate. And of course, this is an election year, and so topics like this become sort of a discipleship-centered approach to understanding how things like politics fit into our biblical worldview, and that is the perspective, how they fit into our biblical worldview, and how our biblical worldview can affect our perception of what politics is, our perspective on these things. I'm going to read a passage from uh, Revelation chapter 11 today. Uh, Then the seventh trumpet, or seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world have become, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So we're going to get on the road here. But this passage here in the book of Revelation is out of Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. You know, we typically think of so much of that cry of triumph and that having to do with the later chapters in Revelation where we see uh, Jesus coming on a charger for war with the ten thousands of his saints, as, as uh, Jude would uh, intimate. And But here in the middle of the book, we find the two witnesses have come and have been killed and have risen and have risen to heaven. Uh, And after this, we hear this cry where voices in heaven are crying out about how the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that, uh, and of course, if you are uh, a Bible-believing Christian, none of this is probably a surprise to you, but the day is coming when Jesus will establish his kingdom on the earth. And that has always been a rich, deep, pervasive, undergirding, fueling hope of the believer. The thought that one day Jesus will make right all the wrongs, that every tear will be wiped away, that uh, evil will no longer be tolerated, it will be dealt with. We see this in the millennial kingdom, something that is spoken of throughout scripture, oftentimes. Um, you know, when we when we think on these things, we are reminded of the great finish of human history where uh, all of the atrocities, all of the hatred, all of the mistreating, all of the uh, the disregard for human life, the uh, just all of these things that, you know, not just, you know, filled our history, but flood our minds as we turn on our TVs nowadays, just uh, the just the mindless vitriol and hatred that um, that exists in like every level and strata of life. It's not just politics where you've got parties and and partisans hating each other and screaming at each other and, and, and just saying whatever they have to to win arguments, whether it's true or not. And, uh, and that's true on both sides. I'm not taking a particular side when I say that. But it's also true of just the way people interact with people in so many uh, parts of our country, obviously. It's nothing new to so many parts of the world where It's not just verbal hatred and and such, but the kind of violence we're seeing on our streets today is something that has characterized many uh, uh, neighborhoods and many nations around the world for, you know, for centuries. And it's just, it's coming to such a place now where the dividing lines, the uh, intolerance for anything that uh, doesn't completely line up with what I believe and what I think, and the kind of verbal and and physical violent response to that kind of thing is something that should honestly 
Uh, I mean, to say it should trouble us would be understating it massively. It should uh, make us sick. It should grieve us like it grieves the heart of God. And so with that sense that Jesus is coming, that shouldn't just give us great hope for the end of just the violence and hatred, but it should also give us a perspective on how we approach every area of our lives today. Uh, literally, every part of our lives should be touched by the great hope that we have as believers. It should give us perspective. It should give us a sense that there is something inherently temporal about the kingdoms of this world, and there is something eternal about the kingdom of God when it's finally established. We pray it whenever we read Matthew 6, you know, verses 9 and 10. We, uh, we're reminded of, of, of the way Jesus taught his disciples. He gave them, a, you know, kind of a, not a, a prayer that you have to pray repeatedly word for word, but a basic idea of the kinds of things that should be part of our prayer lives. The idea of hallowing the name of God, elevating it, worshiping it, holding it in high regard, and then asking his kingdom, that he would have his kingdom come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that's a theme that I've found myself this year really hammering on um, uh, in my own heart. And, and I, I realize now as I'm saying it again that I've probably said it a hundred times in our podcasts. Um, but it, it, it is the kind of thing that bears repeating because it's a tremendous perspective builder. Great be, hallowed be, blessed be, elevated be your name held in high regard, high above all others, and let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom and your will. Let it be that way here, such as it is in heaven. You know, the, the Bible tells us that that day when that prayer will be literally answered, literally and visibly answered, uh, when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom, that's a time that was prophesied uh, in, in, in far, far before now, a long time ago, in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, uh, we see where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And it's a great story. I encourage you to read the passage in Daniel, chapter 2, where, you know, Daniel and his three friends, uh, Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah, have been uh, taken to Babylon. They've been taken captive. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. And Daniel and his three friends have declared their loyalty to the Lord. They've they've put their necks on the line, uh, saying that they're not going to eat the king's food and all that kind of stuff, but they're going to eat according to their own dietary restrictions and that because they want to honor the Lord in a practical way. Well, the Lord gives them favor in that and ultimately puts them in a position of, of recognition, uh, especially Daniel, uh, when it comes to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he, again, he has this dream, and he puts it to his magicians and soothsayers and his fortune tellers, and he and he says, I had a dream, and I want you to tell me the dream and what it means. And, uh, of course, nobody can, you know, it's one thing if you hear the dream and just sort of make up whatever, you know, you think it means. But it's another thing to ask somebody to tell you what your dream was and what it means. And, of course, uh, the king's magicians and such, his fortune tellers, his, uh, you know, his, uh, his occultists were not able to do this. Um, however, uh, Daniel is called before him, and Daniel takes no credit to himself. He gives all credit to God, the one who gives dreams and his interpretations, the one who does what he does. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream, and he tells him the interpretation of it. And the dream involved, as you, if you're familiar with the passage, uh, 
the statue with these various metals, you know, gold, uh, a head of gold, and shoulders and chest of silver, and a, uh, a waist of, of, uh, uh, of, of bronze, and then legs of iron, and then feet, iron mixed with clay. And Daniel goes on to explain that these metals represent various kingdoms that are going to come and, and, and be, a, be the dominant power in that. And ultimately, the last kingdom that comes after the, 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 the toes, uh, mix, iron mixed with clay, another kingdom comes that is not part of the statue. It is completely other. It's not made with hands. It's, uh, it's, it's described as a mountain uh, cut without hands. And it comes in and it just sort of comes out of nowhere and, and strikes at the feet of this succession of kingdoms and just brings it all down. And it becomes the, this mountain becomes the kingdom of the Lord. It's the one that is established forever. It'll have no end. And a number of things are involved in that, in understanding that vision. But one particularly prominent one that I think is often overlooked by many today especially in particular movements like the Kingdom Dominion or Kingdom Now. Uh, even the uh, New Apostolic Reformation has sort of an intertwined, integrated idea with, uh, integrated in some of these ideas. Um, but the, the, the prominent, one prominent idea that stands out in the interpretation of that dream is that when the kingdom that comes that will have no end, when that kingdom comes, it will not be the result of anybody but the Lord. People will not have done anything to make this kingdom come. It's a stone cut without hands. It comes from the heavens. It has nothing to do with us uh, preparing the way for it or setting it up or establishing it in any way. That's an enormously important thing for us to realize, and it fits into the context of what I wanted to talk about today. When we think about, when we have our pep talks, when we talk about politics and our faith, um, our involvement in politics is not without some value. It's not without some value. Uh, as we've said in the past, especially in the West, uh, here in America, we have been given the tremendous privilege of having a government by the people for the people. Uh, and I say this as, as somebody with a patriotic mindset. It's hard for me to read the first three words of our Constitution without choking up. But I also understand that my involvement, and I vote, and I teach a government class, I tutor in government, so I, I'm, I'm doing my best to help young people understand how our government works, and I include the roots of it, you know, the Judeo-Christian underpinnings of the founders' thinking and all these different things, along with others, certainly, but they clearly were not devoid of a Judeo-Christian mindset in putting together uh, the principles that undergird how we support the idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for those who are citizens of America. And so this is an important thing to me. It's something that I not only feel is important, but I enjoy participating in it. I love watching the presidential debates. I love talking politics and all that kind of a thing. But, but, uh, I also understand that my citizenship in, uh, as an American, as much as I deeply, deeply value it, it's secondary. I have a citizenship that actually is higher and of greater value and of eternal significance, and that is my citizenship in heaven. Philippians 3.20, Paul speaks about this. He also talks to the Corinthians about how he, and I would argue that by extension, you and I are ambassadors of that, of Christ and of heaven's country, if you will. And so when I consider my participation in 
the kingdom of this world that I happen to be a citizen of. And America is just one of the kingdoms of this world. I would argue that next to Israel, that little parcel of land that's about the size of New Jersey, that God set aside as his own special place, his own special people, uh, not just the people, but the land itself, that he, he picked that. Uh, outside of Israel, the land that he very directly gave the law to and everything, next to Israel, I would say there's never been a greater country in the history of the world than the United States, never one that's had more influence on a global scale. Uh, and, and you could argue that point, you might argue against it, I guess, but certainly an argument can be made to support that idea. But that said, ultimately at the end of the day, in terms of prophecy, America is just one of the kingdoms of this world. As a matter of fact, we've said this before, this, this rubs uh, American Christians the wrong way oftentimes, and I don't say it as a disrespectful thing, but America does not figure in end times prophecy. Um, it is if it's mentioned at all, it's only as a secondary sideline country uh, in Ezekiel 38. And uh, beyond that, though, there is no mention of America, and it's even arguable whether that is America or not. It may actually be uh, speaking of Spain and the various offshoots of Spain, but uh, there's some debate about that. But I would say that to say that we have any prominent view in Scripture as a nation is is just not, it just can't be found. And so, that being said, um, that should help us understand things from a very different perspective. God does love America like he loves all people. God has shed his grace on us, thankfully. We're very, should be very grateful for that. But I would say this to American Christians, of which I'm one of them, that when we talk about the great privileges and the greatness of America, with that comes a tremendous responsibility, with the freedom to uh, enjoy and live out our faith with such freedom of res from restrictions. That brings with a tremendous responsibility. And so for that reason, I say we participate in our system because we have an opportunity to vote for candidates that hold biblical perspectives on things. There's not going to be perfect candidates, obviously, and this, of course, becomes one of the big arguments among believers when they, uh, when they disclose who they might vote for. Um, but let me suggest that we don't have perfect candidates. We simply have what we have. And so we vote for those who, on a policy level, best reflect our biblical views. You know, uh, I would say without reservation that to vote for candidates that have no problem with abortion, especially nowadays where it's even uh, supported all the way up until that baby is literally about to be born, like in the birth canal. Um, candidates that are okay with that and support it and even argue for it uh, have no right to my vote. And so that's my perspective. I, I don't tell my students how to vote. I'm not trying to tell you how to vote. But I am trying to give an example of where a biblical perspective should weigh in very directly on how we vote. We shouldn't make the mistake and be so shallow as to simply vote for our economic well-being. Uh, that's not unimportant on a practical level, but it's not the most important thing. To stand for righteousness, to vote for candidates that, uh, that will, you know, represent that desire to see righteousness is something that we do. Having said that, though, we'd be foolish to think that righteousness in a biblical, kingdom-minded kind of way is ultimately going to come from Washington. It won't. Uh, and so we shouldn't fool ourselves, but we should do the best we can with what we have in the time that we're called to live in. 
And so that's why we talk about politics as believers. Not to stump for candidates necessarily, but to stump for righteousness. Let me put it another way. No Christian should ever be an always Trumper or a never Trumper. Okay? When any candidate, whether it's Trump, whether it's Biden, whether it's anybody on any level in government, when they do things that line up with what is righteous, we should applaud it. When they do something that is unrighteous or lines up with evil, we should critique it and call it out. But we should never so align ourselves with a particular politician or political party or uh, political ideology. What we should be is always a righteousness person. We should always seek those things that glorify God and line up with His definition of right and wrong and righteousness, righteous and unrighteous. But we should never believe that any political party is always going to be righteous or is always going to be unrighteous. I can think of issues right now in my mind where both parties have ideas that are worthwhile. But when it comes to some issues, uh, we should recognize that candidates represent platforms, and platforms are the ideas and ideals that, uh, that ultimately are going to be put in motion when those candidates ultimately find themselves in office. And we need to think about those things, whether it's uh, policies on things, again, just as an example, like abortion, or whether it's uh, what kind of Supreme Court justices a, a candidate would choose to uh, put in place. You know, these are things that have temporal value, but they do speak to issues of righteousness or unrighteousness. And so therefore, we should vote, as we have the freedom to, in ways that represent God's standard of righteousness. And we should therefore then again vote our biblical worldviews. And so that being said, we do that in the temporal time in which we live. We live in a time that is uh, before the time when Jesus establishes his kingdom. And so therefore, we're to occupy ourselves with his business and purposes until he comes. We're to plow in the field that he's called us to, but we're plowing in his field. And we're doing his work, seeking to bear fruit that brings him glory. And so one area in which that's possible for us is in the area of politics. So the election's coming up in, I think, two weeks from yesterday. And so think on these things, consider these things. Um, but remember, too, that that's the temporal time in which we live. But looking beyond that to eternity, that's what we ultimately live for. And again, that should impact the way we live today. If we truly believe that his kingdom is coming, if we truly pray that with a real sense of wanting to see it come to pass, like, again, we see in Jesus' own uh, encouragement and teaching to us on what it means to pray, uh, we should recognize that the calling for his kingdom to come and his will to be done is a call for him to change and rip out the entire existing world system and to replace it with his. A time when righteousness reigns, a time when sin will not be allowed to perpetuate and pervade, but a time when he will rule and reign with a rod of iron from Jerusalem rule and reign alongside of him as believers. It's a beautiful, beautiful future that we look forward to with great anticipation. And remember that, that that hope and that knowledge is something that should not just be left aside for a future date, but it should very, very solidly invade every fiber of who we are as people today. We should be thinking, living, acting, speaking, voting, participating in society Christianly 
In other words, if Jesus were standing next to us, as if we would ask him, Lord, what should I do in this circumstance? How should I think about these issues? How should I cast my ballot? How should I uh, choose my jobs? How should I choose my spouse? How should I choose how I spend my time? These things are all things that come under the Lordship of Christ, and we want to give him those things unabashedly, unashamedly, and unreservedly. And so, so as we talk about these things, you know, it's, it, it's, I bring this up because, again, we're coming in, we're, we're in the very uh, final stretch of an election season, and so it's, it's just something that I wanted to make sure that I touch on periodically, because this podcast is really intended to be a discipleship-based podcast, and so we spend time going through the Word verse by verse. We talk about various topics that, um, that, that come out of the Scriptures, and so we can understand them and gain a as well-rounded a view of, of God's will and purposes as we can. And one of those things, and something that I'm not going to harp on all the time, and, and, uh, but I do think that it, it bears speaking about in our day, uh, especially with the craziness and, and the, 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 the rampant evil that, that goes on in our world. We should, as salt and light, seek to bring that salt and light into every context of our our existence and as Americans sometimes that means into the voting booth and so again without telling you who to vote for let me just encourage you let me strongly encourage you to consider biblically where people stand on biblical issues not just financial issues although that can certainly touch on biblical issues without question but when it comes to those things think those 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 uh, those issues through consider the implications of who you're voting for and how it will affect not just your freedoms as an American but things that touch on subjects that deal with righteousness issues that deal with holiness and what is truly right and truly wrong uh, and let me leave that there and so and above all things as you participate and as you educate yourself on those issues let me first and foremost put at the top of that list as far as things that we do and, and, and coming to understand not only what issues are about, but how we should respond to them. Let me encourage once again the first P, the first letter in our pep talk, and that's to pray. To pray and to educate and to participate. Spend time with the Lord. Spend time in His Word. Understand where He is on things. Understand what He's had to say about things. And then ultimately participate as you pray and understand these things. Uh, participate as a believer, first and foremost as a citizen of heaven, and then vote as a citizen here in America. Or whatever country you're in, participate insofar as you can from a biblical perspective and make a difference blooming where you're planted. So that said, I'll just kind of end it there. And um, I will just leave that with you, and I'll pray and just uh, ask the Lord to help us each to approach these things uh, as the Bible would have us, as God himself has made known that he would want us to. So, Father, we just want to come before you and bring ourselves before you humbly, recognizing our need to understand things more deeply from a biblical perspective. Um, our faith is not something that is reserved to just church on Sunday or on Wednesday night. But our, our faith is something that is central and integral to every part of our lives. And Father, we need to understand that, every one of us, myself included, so that when we make choices in our lives, it could be a choice on anything, but in our particular election season, it becomes important for us to remember that this is one of those places where our faith ought to have room 
to breathe and to affect what we're doing. And so help us to understand where you stand on issues of righteousness and help us to vote our biblical values. Not necessarily believe that any candidate that we put in office is going to be perfect, and some, frankly, are really hard to vote for. But we just pray that we would vote for those candidates who are putting forth ideas that best line up with your biblical truth. And um, so, Father, we thank you, we praise you for loving us and for putting us in a country, at least for us here in America, putting us in a country where we can have so much room to participate. And we pray for those around the world in countries who don't have that privilege and have to live under dictatorships and have to live in situations where they uh, don't have very much freedom at all. And uh, I pray that, Lord, you would give them the potential and capacity to be lights and testimonies and witness and salt where they are. And Father, you give them an understanding of where they can where they can live out their faith in ways that are meaningful and tangible and can have change on their own societies where they live. Father, we thank you that you are interested in the affairs of men and that one day you're going to clean up this mess and you're going to establish your own kingdom as Jesus returns and establishes it. Father, we love you and thank you that you are righteous and that, Father, we never have to doubt that you will do the right things, that you have the ultimate good in mind and are working those things toward your purposes. Help us to enlist ourselves in those same purposes. We love you and thank you, Father, and ask you to go before us in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, I invite you to share your own thoughts and comments. Um, you know, it's, uh, you, can, you can comment on our YouTube channel underneath the video. Uh, you can also uh, comment on my personal website at parsonspat.com. So I would encourage you to leave your comments, or if you want to email me, you can email me from that website, parsonspat.com, and of course, from our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com as well. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you, and certainly I appreciate that you're watching, and I pray that these videos are, uh, or if you're listening on the audio podcast, I pray that they're uh, of, of help to you. I pray that uh, that uh, as they're presented as a, a means to help us learn more and more how to live out our, our faith biblically, that they can serve some purpose in the overall scope of your Christian growth. So thanks for watching. It means a lot, and I just uh, pray the Lord would bless you as you walk with Him. In Jesus' name. Amen.